Father, we just pray over the hearts of the people. Lord God, that their hearts would be good soil that would receive the seed of the word and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Father, we thank you that you confirm your word with signs following. And we just give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, the title of this morning's sermon is Got Milk. Amen. How many of you all seen those commercials? Got Milk. And I almost thought about saying milk does a body good. Have you seen those commercials? And how many of you all know that, you know that when the Bible talks about milk, the milk of the Word, it's talking about spiritual nourishment. Amen. God wants us uh, to be nourished. How many of you all know that God's will for each and every believer is to, is to reach a level of spiritual maturity where we begin to uh, function as mature believers? Now, what do you mean, Pastor? What I'm saying is, it is God's will. You look at things in the natural. A lot of times God gives us things in the natural to look at and to observe that, has, that is a type and a shadow of things in the Spirit. How many of you all know that in order for something, you know, for an animal, you know, for a plant, for even, for, you know, for human beings, before you can reproduce there has to be a level of maturity, right? You understand this, that uh, the, the people, that there has to be a certain degree of growth and development before, uh, a, an, before something becomes sexually mature to where it can reproduce itself. And so you understand that God's will for us is to be able to re- reproduce ourselves in the kingdom that we are reproducing, we're having offspring. What do you mean, Pastor? Yeah, amen. It looks like me and Pastor Cheyenne got that down, right? Amen. Understand what I'm saying is that we're able to reproduce. You know, the Bible commands us that we're to go into all the world and to make disciples. Well, discipleship is a form of reproduction. It is how, it is how the church reproduces, is to make disciples. Well, you understand that until we uh, reach a certain degree of maturity, that we're not going to be able to do that. Effectively. Effectively, you understand what I'm saying? And so God's will is for us. There are How many of you all understand that there are certain things, if you've ever worked with livestock, if you've ever worked with animals, there are certain things that mature animals and, mature, and just mature people can do that smaller, immature, not developed people cannot do. You know, there's, uh, you know I remember, just, you know, this is just an example. I remember when I was uh, you know, in middle school, a lot of guys uh, in middle school started lifting weights. And, you know, most of the stuff, my father had read stuff on weightlifting, and he said, you know, that most of the stuff he read was that, you know, a 12, 13, 14-year-old body wasn't really developed to the point that it needed to be for you to safely to begin heavy weight training. As a matter of fact, read one article that said it could stunt your growth. If you start aggressive weightlifting too soon, that your body, the growth and the development would go toward the muscles and not the height. And you understand this, that God wants us, and and our nourishment, our nutrition, what we are uh, ingesting, what we are eating and consuming, has a lot to do with how we're going to grow. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but over in uh, North Korea and South Korea, the Korean Peninsula, there's two countries. There's South Korea, there's a free democratic society, and there's North Korea that is is a holdout communist regime, has a totalitarian dictatorship that runs the country. And the, the economy has constantly been, uh, you know, depressed. And people, don't, people there don't have access, as readily access, to food that people in the South do because the economy is so bad. I heard a report one time when I was in college that said the average North Korean uh, five-year-old boy was two inches shorter than the average South Korean five-year-old boy, and it was purely because of their diet. 
because the, because, the boy, because the children in the north were chronically malnourished and it stunted their growth because they didn't, they didn't have access to food. And so it, the, what I'm trying to make the point here is, is how important that proper nutrition is to our spiritual growth. I mean, just like in the natural, if you don't receive proper nourishment on, re, on a regular basis, because how many of y'all know, you know, you've heard the old saying, feast or famine. How many of you know that you can be starving you know, five, day, five or six days out of the week and feast on one, but that's still malnutrition because it's not constant, regular uh, nourishment. And so God has an expectation and the desire that we reach our full potential. Now you understand this, is that none of us ever get to the point where we say we have arrived. Nobody, I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter if you're Brother Kenneth E. Hagan. You cannot say, I have arrived. You can't do that. Why? Because, well, let's just look at the Apostle Paul. What was over in uh, Philippians? Paul said, not that I count myself that I've already attained. He was, he was talking about pursuing the things of God and getting after God and making God the top priority. And Paul said, I don't even count myself to have attained. Now, this is Paul. Paul the Apostle planted churches all over uh, Asia and Europe. And this is the guy that he's raised the dead, he's healed the sick. He's done all these wonderful miracles. He's written, good Lord, two-thirds of the New Testament. And Paul is saying, I don't even count myself to have already attained, but this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind, and I press on toward the prize of the, call, of the mark of the call, the high calling of Jesus. And so Paul was saying, look, you know what? I can't even say that, I've, that I have arrived yet. And so if Paul says, I have, look, I've not, I've not arrived yet. I have not reached my full potential then there's so much more that we can say, you know what, I've not arrived. Amen? And so we want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, says to the Corinthians, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you're still carnal. Now, I understand this. A lot of times when we, hear, when we hear people say, well, you know, someone's just being carnal, a lot of times we take offense at it. And let's just be real honest. Sometimes if, if we behave in a way that, that is carnal and, and, and we realize that, sometimes if, it, if it's mentioned, you know, you're just being carnal, we could take offense but really the reason we might take offense is because in our own heart we know that we are. Because we know better, right? But you understand that the word carnal in itself is not necessarily an insult. And that's not really what Paul meant at all. What he's saying is, is you're still more conscious, you're more conscious about the desires of your flesh and what you want to do and what makes you comfortable than we are about doing the Word. And you understand there's a couple of reasons for that. One might be you just haven't been fed. Huh? One might be that you've just not been fed properly because how many of you know that it is possible to go to church for 25, 30, 40, 50 years and never be fed properly? Amen? And there's more than just going to church about feeding yourself. Amen? You understand that when you're mature, you reach a degree of maturity, you're able to feed yourself, right? Amen? It's like, uh, like Jared right now. Jared's only 13, my, my youngest boy. He's 13 months old, but you put the food in front of him and glory to God, he'll tear through it. It might be messy when he gets done. Amen. He might have spaghetti in his hair, but he's fed himself. Why? Because he's beyond that stage of having to have it spoon-fed into, into his mouth. And so, and then, and of course, and then the other reason is maybe you've been fed 
but you're not doing it. You're not doing the Word. We'll get to this. Amen. But you understand that really it doesn't matter what you're fed if you can't keep it down. And I'll talk about that some more, right? Amen. But you understand, Paul wrote this. Paul saying, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal people. Now you understand this. Paul wrote this epistle approximately two years after his first missionary uh, trip to Corinth. So the, the importance of that is and the significance is, is that Paul had an expectation that within two years after hearing, first hearing the gospel and having the, gospel, the message of the gospel preached to them, that within two years, if they had maintained regular nourishment and regular eating, he had the expectation that they would be at a level that he called spiritual, not carnal, within two years. And, and again, that parallels some stuff in the natural because you know, by the time a child's two years old, you can put the food in front of them and they're pretty much able to take care of themselves, right? So Paul had the expectation that within a two-year period that you could move from carnal, and you understand when we're saying carnal, that it, it, it literally means flesh-ruled. In other words, the desires of your flesh, and, and you need, we just need to, a lot of times when you hear people talking about the lusts of the flesh, carnal, carnality, we automatically jump to sexual sins. We automatically think that's what it's talking about. But that's not what it's talking about. That can be included. Not all. The, you understand lusts of the flesh just means the desires of your flesh, the desires of what, what makes you comfortable, regardless of how it lines up to God's Word. And so being carnal, being fleshly, it simply means that we've not moved from a state to where we're mature enough to where we really, it's walking by faith. Not being tossed to and fro. Not, we're not easily shaken. That when, some, when a report comes in that's contrary to the Word, contrary to what the Word of the King has been for our life, that we don't get easily shaken. Amen? And so you understand? So that the, the desire is that we move from this state of being where we're dominated by the desires, the thing, the, the thing let's just put it this way, your wants. That you move past a, a place where your, your sole motivation is your wants to where your motivation is God's wants. That's just really, that's as simple as, as we can put it. That, you, that your highest priority in life isn't that I live for myself, but I live for my king, and what does my king want me to do? And so go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 5 real quick. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5. <clears throat> I want to remind you there in Corinthians, Paul was talking about, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. Amen? And the, while you're turning to Hebrews, and you understand that the significance of the word milk is, is that it is the simplest, most basic form of nourishment. Amen? For, you know, a child is born, you know, a mother nurses the child. The, most, the simplest, most complete form of nutrition available to the child is mother's milk. Yeah, they've got formula and stuff like that now. But you understand, God's plan, if, if the child's able to tolerate it, and the, and the mother is able to tolerate nursing, then God's, God's, God's best is that that milk is the most complete uh, nourishment that is available to the child and will reap the most benefit. You understand they say you know, that children who are, are, who are nursed children, that you, typically their immune systems are higher than bottle-fed babies. Why? Because you know, that's not just a coincidence. God planned it that way, that there, are, that there is nutrition that develops in, in the mother's body that as she nurses the child and the child receives that nourishment, that it even helps in the immunity system of the child. Amen? Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle 
oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Amen? So here we go again, and we hear that the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that by this time you ought to be teachers. And that goes back to remember what I said about reproducing ourselves. You understand that every one of us are teachers. And I'm not talking about the fivefold ministry gifts of, you know, you read over in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Not talking about that. But you understand, all you have to do to teach somebody something is know something that they don't know. You realize that? You say, well, Pastor, I just don't feel like I'm qualified to be a teacher. Well, you know, do you know that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you know that, that the Bible says that if you, can, if you uh, uh, confess, if you make a covenant with your mouth, that Jesus is the supreme authority in your life and you believe that God's raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved? Do you know that? Well, guess what? You can teach that to someone that doesn't know that, that doesn't have that revelation. Amen? Maybe you know some stuff about having a good, harmonious marriage that's based on the Word that somebody else doesn't have. Well, you can, you can disciple that person. You can teach them. This is what the Word says about how God wants us to live a marriage, right? And so you understand that, he's, that the writer of Hebrews is saying that by this time you should have been teachers. Or we could say by this time you should have been spiritual enough to be making some impartations into other people. He says, uh, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles and have come to need milk and not solid food. You understand that... Um, that a key element to becoming spiritually mature is becoming skilled in the word of righteousness. I want to read that to you. It says, uh, it says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So we're beginning to see that the, that the milk of the word, when we talk about the milk of the word, we're talking about the most simple, basic nourishment uh, that is available in God's word. And he's saying that if, we are only, if we're only to the point that we can only handle the milk of stuff, then we're unskilled in the word, uh, in the word of righteousness. So you understand that skill, becoming skilled in something, how do you move, and, and this, is getting, this might be getting hit, but how do we ever make the transition? You, underst- you understand this. You never outgrow the usefulness of milk. Amen? Dairy far- and all the dairy farmers are going to say amen, right? Because why? Because even as an adult, your body can reap the benefit of the nourishment that's in milk. But how many of you know that you're at a level of maturity to where you can digest You can digest meat, you can take a big piece of steak and you can eat it and your body can break that down and you can get the nourishment from that as well. So my point is, is that you, never, you will never outgrow the usefulness of milk. But for the, also when we look at a child, a child cannot digest anything but milk. And so how do we move from being carnal how do we move from being unskilled in the word of righteousness because remember this this scripture here says if we can only if if we're only uh, partaking of the milk then that's an indicator that we're unskilled in the word of righteousness how do we move from that we move from that to being students of the word continually being submerged in the word because as you become familiar with the word of god how many of you know that the holy spirit you know the bible says that you know in that day uh, you'll not have to know what you speak this is a paraphrase but the holy spirit will tell you what to speak well how many of y'all know you got to have something on the inside for him to work with you you've got to put the we have to be putting the word in us so that the holy spirit has something to draw up out of us when we're in those situations to speak to people 
We have, we have to be uh, students of the Word. You understand this. How many of y'all, familiar, you remember the story about David and Goliath? When David went to fight Goliath and King Saul brought David in and King Saul took his armor and his weapons and he gave it to David and said, here, put this on and go out to fight Goliath. Because you understand, David was a shepherd boy. Yeah, what? Yeah, he may have you know, had a little robe on, had a little staff, had a little slingshot. He wasn't, you know, in the eye, what in, in the eyes of the world, what people considered a warrior, and he didn't dress like warriors. So Saul, in his reasoning, says, you know what? So we better put you on some armor. If you're going to go out and you're going to fight Goliath, we got to put you on some armor and send you out so you look like a soldier. And what did David tell Saul? He said, I can't go out and use these because I've not tried them. I believe it's what the King James Version says. I've not tried them. What's that mean? David said, I can't go out and fight in these because, let's put it this way, I'm unskilled in the use of this. Huh? I can't go out, I can't put on the armor and go out into battle. How many of y'all know that, you, that why, do, why do football teams practice? Why do they have, you know, most football teams, they'll start out, they'll have summer practices where they're not wearing any pads. And they get out and they'll practice and they'll run their sprints and they'll run their routes and they'll do these things. And then eventually, before season starts... You're having full suit-up practices. Why? Because you want to know when you're practicing, you want to know what it's like to try to run, especially, glory to God, especially down in Georgia, right? Georgia and Florida. You want to know what it's like to run with a helmet and shoulder pads and cleats and everything else on when it's 95 degrees and 75% humidity. You want to know how you're going to be able to handle it. Why? You want to be, become skilled in the use of that equipment so that you don't just the first time you put it on, when you put it on on opening game day. Because, you're, because you want to become familiar with it. Well, that's what David, when he was going out to fight Goliath, he said, he said I've not tried these things. I'm not familiar with it. And how many of y'all know if he'd have went out and he'd have put his trust in Saul's armor and tried to go out in something that he was unfamiliar with, the story would have ended a whole lot different. I like the way the story ends now. I think it makes a good Sunday school story, don't you? Amen. He killed the giant, cut his head off, fed his body to the birds there. I thought it's pretty good. Amen. So you understand that, that we have to become skilled with the Word of God. Reading the Word of God, you, know, you understand this? Milk is good for babies and adults, but a liquid diet for adults usually produces weak adults. What are we talking about, Pastor? We're talking about the milk of the Word. Being skilled. To be skilled, we have to be familiar with the Word because as we become familiar with the Word, then we're able to make that move from just a milk, a liquid diet, to where we can eat solid food, where Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians, I, I, you know, I had to speak to you as carnal, not spiritual, because you can't handle solid food. As we make ourselves familiar with the Word, as we are placing the, hiding the Word in our heart, and we're reading God's Word, being students of the Word, consuming the Word, amen, then that's going to grow us to the point where we move out past things. Because you understand, let's just put it this way, maybe <clears throat> I am convinced that some of the meat of the Word is the stuff that you'll miss on the surface, but that the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you and reveal things to you in the Word. And if we're ever going to get past the point to where we're just reading the Bible, where it's just, you know, where it's just like another book, how many of you know God wants us to get to the point to where, where when you read it and you're reading the Logos, you're reading the written Word of God, that you can read something and the Holy Spirit takes something that you've read and make it a rhema word, make it a spoken Word of God where the Holy Spirit speaks to you something and gives you a revelation on the Word for you to apply to your life. And you're talking about getting into some meat right then. Amen? But you understand this, is that as we want to grow, we want to get past the point of where milk is our, is our constant diet. Because you understand this, like I said, milk's good for babies, but liquid, adults, uh, liquid diets usually produce weak adults. Amen? If you stay on one long enough, it'll actually produce muscle atrophy. 
How many of y'all know what muscle atrophy is? When your muscles begin to shrink and shrivel and, and, and your body actually can, will consume your muscles to get uh, usually protein that they need. But if we, if we want to move past that, we've got, we've got to, we have got to make sure that we have regularly consumed the milk to develop our spirit to the point that we can move on to the solid meat. Now, understand this. I've said this before. How many of you, I, I, I used to think this. We, I used to think, you know, you just had a baby and the baby would just grow automatically. How many of y'all are saying, you, just, you, know, you have a baby and you don't got to do it? How many people, have, we've, if you're not careful, you know, you just have a baby and it's going to take off growing. How many of us think that? It's just, growth just comes natural to a baby, right? It doesn't. It comes natural as it's fed. Amen? And so we need to understand this, is that, that a lot of us, if we're not careful, and maybe, that, maybe it's none of us that are here, but maybe it's people that we know that the Lord wants us to minister to, is... Just because someone got born again, just because someone became a new creature in Christ Jesus, and that happened 25 years ago, does not mean that they grew at all. Amen? And that is just because, just because birth took place 25 years ago. You take a baby born in the natural, and it might have been born 25 years ago, but, but don't feed it. You know, feed it one time a day and see how long the baby stays, stays around. And so a lot of people, we make this mistake of thinking just because... We got born again a certain X amount of years ago that we're already mature. We, you know, we need to understand this. Babies grow as a result of regular feeding and of sufficient and nutritional foods. And so this is the thing is that we have to make sure that we're feeding ourselves and that we're being fed. Now, understand this. I know when we come to church and we all look to going to church and the Word being taught and the pastor preaching and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to get fed. Okay. But we really need to not fall into the trap of thinking, I go to church to get fed because, you know, Brother Hagin said this a lot. He said a lot of times people will feed their body three hot meals a day but their spirit one cold snack a week. How many of you know if you did that to your body, you'd be a mess real quick. It wouldn't take long for your body to be in a mess having one snack a week. Well, you understand that when I teach and I preach the Word, if you're taking notes... If you're, if you're listening to it and you're making notes, if it's mental notes, if you're writing something down on paper, I, what I give you on a, Sunday mo- on, a, on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday evening, you cannot sustain yourself spiritually healthy just because you heard that that one time. Everyone's, we, need to have, we need to make sure that we have a devotion time where every day we're getting in the Word, every, time we're spending, every day we're spending time in prayer and in the Word. And it's good to take the notes from the sermon and write them down and, and look them back up through the week and look for cross-references in your Bible and study those things out. And you, you understand you can make a meal out of it. You can make a meal. How many of y'all know you go to, you know, go to Grandma's house on Thanksgiving and she fixes a big turkey and she fixes too much of everything? And you can take some of those leftovers and you can make it last all week. But what you just ate on the plate at Grandma's house won't do you no good three days later, right? So we, so we need to, uh, to make sure that we're feeding ourselves regularly the Word of God. And you understand this. <clears throat> is that How many of y'all have ever been around a baby that was colicky? Okay, you know, babies cry, and one and one of the things it's not always the case, but frequently when a baby is colicky, that baby is is unusual for a baby that has colic to throw up. No, as a matter of fact, that's one of the, you know that is one of the potential symptoms of colic is a child might throw up. I remember when Jared was, you know, he doesn't, you know, we don't have a problem with that. But when Jared was more, you know, Clay never spit up. I think I think Clay spit up one time when he was a baby. 
But Jared, we just, you know, bless his heart, you know, we'd, Shane would nurse him, and he'd nurse, and he'd get to rolling around on the floor, and he wouldn't be sick or anything. He'd just be rolling around the floor and playing, and boop, they'd all come back up. Well, how many of y'all know what he spit up didn't do him any good? Now, what's the parallel here in, in the spirit, in, in spiritual things is, is that the way... Help me explain this, Lord. When you consume the milk of the Word, the benefit that you get from what you consume is the fact that you're able to make use of it in your body. Right? Is it stays in the stomach, digestive process begins, it moves into the intestines, the nourishment is able to be absorbed from it, and use is made of the nourishment that's in that milk. How do we as believers, how do we... Do we not spit up? It's by it's indicated by the amount of the word that we do. Was it James one twenty two says, "Don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers." Let me give you this little illustration. See if it helps you. the The baby, because this was the thing, you know, when Jared would eat and spit up, Pastor Cheyenne had to get him and feed him some more because she knew, you know, if he was hungry when he ate and he needed something to eat and he's crawled around the floor and he spit it all up. He's not going to get. He's, then his hunger is not going to be satisfied, and he's not going to have the nutrition that he needs because he just spit it all out on the floor. He's obviously not going to absorb it and get the benefit of it if he's not keeping it down. Well, this is the same thing about the uh, about the word, the milk of the word. How do we know we're keeping it down? We know someone's keeping it down by the amount of word that they're doing. Because you understand, you can hear the word taught, you can hear the word taught, and you can you can be feeding yourself, and you can be feeding yourself, and you can be reading the word. And then, if you're not doing it, bleh, you spit up. That, that's showing that you spit up. Why? Because the Word, you're not being able to make use of the Word. And you understand what I'm saying? Is that in order for it to be of a bit, for the milk to be a benefit to the baby, the baby has to keep it, it, keep it down and its body make use of it. If you're eating, you know, if you're consuming the Word, if you're taking in the Word, but you're not getting the use of it, and the use of it is that we become doers of it. That's, that's the proof that we're, we are doers of the Word, is that, is that we're keeping the Word that we're consuming down, is that we do it. That when we go hear a good sermon, and it, and it speaks to something, and the Holy Spirit speaks to something in our life that we need to change, or if we're studying, and as, and as you're reading and you're going through that milk, and then the Holy Spirit gives you that little nugget of meat where He begins to speak to you and to reveal something to you, that we're doing it, that we're putting that to practice in our life because that shows that we are keeping it down, that you're keeping it down and that spiritually you're making use of what you're getting because, because it's going beyond just in your mouth, but it's going, down, it's going down into your spirit, if you will, and you're able to digest that and you're able to use it. Amen? First, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I hope I'm not losing anybody this morning. I hope that, that we're getting this. Is that it's necess- in other words, it's necessary to, if we're going to benefit from the milk of the Word we have to keep it down. And the way that we indicate that we're keeping it down is that we're doers of the Word. Amen? 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. It's good to crave the Word. Amen? Amen? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking... As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. 
says that if we're to desire the pure milk of the Word as newborn babes. You know, I've noticed one thing. When both of my boys were born and Pastor Cheyenne first went to nurse them, that she didn't have to bend, she didn't have to bend her arm to get them to nurse. Huh? Amen. How many of y'all ever noticed that? You take a newborn baby, you don't, it doesn't take a lot of persuading to get that baby to nurse. Amen. Why? Because it's natural. Because that baby's craving that milk. That baby's hungry. The baby's craving. And it's the nature of that baby to want to, to, to nurse and to receive nourishment. Well, you understand this, that if we will desire or crave the Word, uh, if we will consume it naturally and it will produce the growth as we're doers of the Word. It should, it should come natural to us as born-again believers that we, are, that we desire the sincere milk of God's Word, that we are able to receive that Word and grow by it. Amen? Praise God. <clears throat> James, turn to James chapter 1. I want to show you something here real quick. James chapter 1. Now remember, well, let's notice this. James chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. It says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth, goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now something I want you to notice here, both in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and here in James chapter 1, I'm going to read you just a little blurb of the verses. 1 Peter 2, 1 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. And then James 1 says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. You understand that in, other, in, in order for us to receive the full benefit of God's Word, there's some things we've got to lay aside. There's things, you know, it, it lists both, both, in both these passages that's telling us to desire, you know, one says to desire the sincere milk of the Word, the other says to receive the engrafted Word. You understand we're talking about receiving God's Word in both, one, both places. It's saying that there's a prerequisite to, to reaping the benefit of it. If we and you understand, do do you see that that if we are going to reap the benefit of the word, I'll just put it this way: we can feed ourselves the milk of the word, but if we're not putting aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, uh, filthiness, superfluity, and superfluity of naughtiness, if we're not putting those things away, you can have all the milk that you want, but it's not going to do you any good. That's why the that's why the Bible that's why we're encouraged to put those things aside to get rid of them to put it out of your life and, and we'll just say this, you, know, you understand where it says evil speaking what you know we read this a couple of weeks ago in Hebrews it said you know that God considers an unbelieving report an evil report you know when we think we think about evil we think about you know somebody just you know saying something wicked and evil like that but God's criteria for what's evil is when we're speaking something that is doubt concerning His word. And so if we're going to reap the benefit, if we're going to move past this stage where we, where we started back in 1 Corinthians, if we're going to move past this stage where we are carnal people who are ruled by our, the, the, our, our own desires and not the things of what was it? Thank you, Lord. Remember when Peter, when Jesus was, began to tell his disciples that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to die, and he was going to rise on the third day, and Peter said, Not so, Lord, be it far from you. And Jesus rebuked him. Get thee behind me, Satan. You understand he wasn't calling him the devil. Satan means the enemy. Right? You understand Satan is, is the devil. Is, Satan is Lucifer's title. Just like God is not God the Father's name, 
Satan is not Satan is not Lucifer's name. That's his title. That's who he is. Okay. So you're saying, but what did Jesus tell him? He said, "Get behind me, Satan, for you do not seek the th- you do not want the things of God." You understand? Peter had an agenda. Peter had an agenda that was different than what God's agenda was. And Jesus rebuked him for it. And he said, you don't desire the things of God. You desire your things. And so you understand this is that, and that Peter was still being carnal. Can we agree that Peter was still being carnal? Why? Because his wants was something different than what God wanted him to do. And so you understand if we're going to move past this stage in our, in our spiritual walk of being carnal, being flesh ruled, being led by I do what I want to do, and then ask God to bless it, if we're going to get past that, then it takes a steady, a steady and regular consumption of the milk of the Word, familiarizing ourselves with the Word, getting to the point that not only do we steadily consume the milk of the Word, but that God's able to give you that spoken Word, that the Holy Spirit's able to reveal something to you that is maybe not on the surface of the Word itself, but He begins to reveal that to you and speak to you specifically how you apply that word in your life, what his plan is for you, and specifically how you, uh, how you apply that. Amen? So you understand we're talking about moving from a condition of being led and dominated by our own desires to where we're led and dominated by the desires of God. Really, growing up spiritually. Right? So the point that we are fruitful and so that we're able to do what God's called us to do in the kingdom and accomplish what God's called us to do. So one thing that is necessary is the milk of the Word. Real quickly, turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. I'm going to give you one more thing. We're talking about spiritual growth. Got milk, right? You got milk. So we've looked at so far, we know that it is impossible for us to grow without a, a steady diet of the milk of God's Word. And we'll never get off of milk onto meat if we're not consistently feeding ourselves the milk of the Word. Reading, reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, hiding the Word of God in our hearts so we won't sin against God. Does that sound familiar? So anyway, the milk of the Word is necessary for growth. Well, there's another thing that's, that is necessary for spiritual growth. Amen? Um, Jeremiah 3, verse 15. The Lord said, through, speaking through the prophet, He said, And I will give you shepherds, according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. You understand that, there, that a lot of times the Old Testament prophets, you read through the, the prophets in the Old Testament, and they were taking, uh, they, they were, uh, taking people to task because they had turned their back on God. Amen? And it's, it's so funny. Uh, yesterday I was reading. I was reading over in First uh, Kings. And it was talking about when Israel split. This is giving you a little bit of your Old Testament history. You understand, when Solomon died, Solomon was King David's son who succeeded David. When Solomon died and he left the throne to his son, the people approached to him and said, you know what, your father laid a heavy tax burden on us. Your father placed a high demand on conscripted labor for us. If you'll ease the burden, and you understand Solomon was established in the kingdom. He built the temple. He built his palace. He built up lots of cities. The Lord used Solomon tremendously to help establish the people of Israel in the land that God gave them. But how many of y'all know, you know, you can, you can, only, you can only get so much blood out of something, right? And so the people came to, uh, uh, to Rehoboam and said, Look, 
if you'll lighten the load, if you'll, you know, if you'll let up on the taxes, if you'll uh, lighten the load that, that your father put, he put a heavy load on us, but if you'll lighten that, we'll serve you and we'll, we'll be your people, for, uh, you know, we'll serve you forever. And of course, you all that know the rest of the story, he didn't. And because of that, there was a tax revolt in Israel. Imagine that, right? There's a tax revolt in Israel and the kingdom split. The two southern kingdoms, uh, two southern tribes uh, was known as the kingdom of Judah and the ten northern tribes became known as the kingdom of Israel. Well, the important part what was to me was that Jeroboam became the king of the northern tribes and one of the first things he did to keep people from going to Jerusalem to worship was he set up two golden images of, of, of uh, cows and told the people, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And I scratched my head and thought, where did we hear that before? When Moses was on the mountain... And Aaron made the image. He said, here's the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I'm scratching my head thinking, how many hundreds of years later was that? And it's still the same, it's the, it's the, it's the same old lie that the people were being fed. You know, that, but the people, because of that split, people began to turn their backs on God. And why? It was because the leaders, make no mistake about it, God will hold political leaders in they will be held to a high standard when they stand before him. Huh? Because God knows that the political leaders can turn, turn the entire hearts of nations. People who are teachers of the word, as the Bible teaches over in the book of James, that those that are teachers will be held, they'll be judged to a higher standard, right? So God was taking, he took exception to the leaders, the kings and the leaders of the country and the teachers because they weren't teaching the people to, they weren't teaching the people to fear God. They weren't teaching the people. They weren't giving the people the milk of the word. They were not giving the milk of the word. And so God, in His rebuke of these people, in, in Jeremiah chapter three, He says, "I will." He's rebuking them, saying, "You've not done this. You've not taught the people right. You've not taught them my ordinances and my commandments. You've taught them the traditions of man." And God's saying, "But I'm going to give you shepherds after my heart." How many of y'all know that a pastor needs to be after God's heart? Amen? He said, I'm going to give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Know this real quick, that the word shepherd is translated pastor in the New Testament. That's literally what the word pastor means. It means to shepherd. And so God's saying, I'm going to give you shepherds. Understand this, Ephesians chapter 4, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. We've looked at this several times in the past few months. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, that we should no longer, listen to this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And so you understand this, that, that the ministry gifts, you give somebody a gift because you, you, you love them, you appreciate them, and you want to do something to bless them and be a benefit to them, right? So you understand that those ministry gifts that are mentioned, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, the teacher, the Lord Jesus... It says Jesus gave these gifts to the church. So Jesus is saying, I love you, I appreciate you, and I want to give you something that's a blessing and a benefit to you so badly that I'm going to give you these ministry gifts. And you notice when we read on down, part of the purpose of the ministry gifts 
is, as from Jeremiah 3.15, I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart that are going to feed you knowledge and understanding. Why? Because we go back to Ephesians, it says that you'd no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. How many of you all know there's a lot, there are lots of winds of doctrine out there? There are lots of things. You, you are not at a shortage to turn on your TV and turn it on the, the, uh, the, you know, your, the, the religious channel of your choice. You know, turn it on, you know, TBN, turn it on, what is it, uh, EWTN, is that the Catholic channel? Turn it on that. You can turn it on stuff. There's all kinds of winds of doctrines going on out there. And how many of y'all know that there are lots of doctrines out there that are just completely, have no, have no scriptural basis? You know, that was one of the reasons. You need to re, We never need to take this book right here that we carry for granted. Do you know that there were people who died some of the most torturous deaths that you could imagine simply because they wanted you to have the privilege to be able to pick up God's Word and read it in your own language. But, you know, uh, I believe, who was it? Was it, <clears throat> I believe it was, uh, John, was it John Tyndale, I think. You know, there's a big Tyndale Publishing named after him, you know, in honor of him. I believe it was John Tyndale. Was he the one that said, if I have my way, he said the plow boy will know more of the Scripture than the Pope does? Because back back before, you know, the King James Version was translated, you understand back in the 1400s, 1500s, that there was no uh, translation of the Scripture in the vernacular of the people. That it was, you know, they had it in Latin, they had it in Greek and Hebrew, but if you were English and you spoke English, guess what? You just had luck. And so the church used people's ignorance of the Word to get them off into all kinds of traditions that weren't even scriptural. And so when someone came along and said, you know what, I want the people to have a translation of the Word that they can read so they can consume the milk of the Word and grow thereby. How many of y'all know that there was a concerted effort by the organized church of the day back then to quash that and to make sure that it never happened? And people were, people were tortured, people were killed. And, and treated dis, and treated disrespectfully just to keep the word out of your hand. Why? Will you understand this? Is that if people, if we do not consume the milk of the word, you're able to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. If if we, you understand this? Is that ignorance of the word is one is is the is the greatest potential threat to the welfare of the church. What did God, you know, what did the, the prophet say? He said, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And so if we're not making ourselves be students of the word, where we're hiding the word in our heart, amen, so that we're not sinning against God, so that when this wind of doctrine comes about, that you're just, you know, you know t- take your pick of, of when the wind of doctrine. The church, have we seen it? You have know, the charismatic renewal in the United States. You know, the charismatic renewal that started, I guess, back in the 1950s, 1960s. There was a lot of good, good stuff that came out of the charismatic renewal. But there was a lot of bad stuff that came out of the charismatic renewal that was completely unscriptural. And you found people getting tossed to and fro by winds of doctrine that if they had been consuming the milk of the Word, then you've placed something in, you've placed in the Word in you, number one, but then you're putting something on the inside of you that you're making resource, spiritual resources available to you that the Holy Spirit can pull up. You say, no, 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 this is wrong. This is wrong. And so you understand that the ministry gifts, now we've talked about the Word, but we're talking, this is in Ephesians, and it's talking about the ministry gifts. God said His desire was to give you shepherds who would, uh, who would feed you with knowledge and understanding. And we read over in Ephesians the purpose is so the church doesn't get tossed with, with every wind of doctrine 
and that, we're, and that we shouldn't be tricked, and that, uh, that we should speak the truth in love and grow up in all things. Amen? You understand this? Talking about knowledge and understanding. <clears throat> you understand this? Knowledge is the accumulation of facts, information, and details. How many of y'all know that if all you've got is knowledge, what does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 8 1? It says knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. You understand this? The Pharisees, <clears throat> if, I'm, if I recall correctly, Pharisees, by the time when they entered into training to be Pharisees, that they, they had to... How many of y'all think that you could just memorize and spit it out verbatim the first five books of the Bible? The, Pharisee, uh, the Pharisees and a lot of the stricter Jewish, uh, Jewish sects, they, they would have to memorize, you know, what we, we call, uh, you know, they call it the Torah, or the Pentateuch, the first five, the first five, the Pentateuch actually, first five books of the Bible. They would, you know, by the time they were a certain age, they'd have to have the entire thing memorized verbatim. Now we think, oh dear Lord, who could possibly do that? One of the keys to how they memorized it was they sang it. You know, how many of y'all, I think, I think it'd be funny if we look back some of some of the songs that you listened to 30 years ago that you ain't listened to in 30 years, that if somebody started a little, you know, you heard the beginning of it, you know, <laughs> just like, yeah, I remember when I was in high school, you know, Aerosmith did a song called Dude Look Like a Lady, huh? And I guarantee you, when you hear, still to this day, when I hear, da-da-da, I know, dude, look like a lady getting ready to come out. Why? Because you you can memorize those songs. So it's not that hard of a thing to do. It's just what we're setting our mind to. Right? But you understand that the Pharisees, they had all kinds of knowledge of the Word. But you understand, were they puffed up? What did Jesus warn His disciples repetitively to beware the what of the Pharisees? The leaven. Leaven is yeast. What does that do? It puffs up. Knowledge without love puffs up. And you can see, we want to know what knowledge without love does. We want to see what knowledge without understanding does. Knowledge without love and understanding is what crucified Jesus. Because the Pharisees were the ones that were pushing for it, and they were the ones that wanted to see Him uh, put out. So, you understand this? Is that just another example of, of, of just knowledge. Remember this, the accumulation of facts and information. How many of y'all ever seen a, a college academic quiz bowl competition? I mean, I, you know, I, I was I was on the quiz bowl when I was in South at South Georgia College, and I tell you what, you'd meet some of those guys, man, and they would just sit around for hours just reading books of mundane facts, useless information, useless information, and boy, you could ask them a question, and it was and it would amaze you sometimes. You're like, man, where in the world did they get where did they get that from? But you know what? There's a difference between knowledge and understanding. Understand this, that the word understanding is also known as wisdom is the practical application of the facts given to you. You know that you can, you can have the word memorized front and back, but if you don't have understanding of it, and that's what we're talking about, moving from carnal to spiritual, Moving from that, moving into that spot where you have not not just knowledge but understanding of the word, Amen. <clears throat> All the information in the world will not do you any good if you don't know how to apply it. 
How many, I won't give you all the details about it, but how many of you all heard the joke before about the woman that went to the doctor and, she, and the doctor gave her a bottle and said, uh, you know, gave her the prescription, handed the prescription to her and said, um, I want you to you know, take these for a week and then come back and see me and we're going to see if there's any change in the situation. And the woman, you know, she went and she came back the next week and the doctor said, well, did you take, all, you know, did you take your entire prescription? And she said, yeah, but doctor, I, I, you know, I just couldn't tell you if it did any good whatsoever. Now, some of you stay with, stay with me. She said, doctor, I just couldn't tell. I took, I took that whole prescription you gave me, and I might as well just shove them pills up my backside for them to have done any good. And the doctor said, it was a prescription for suppositories. That's what you're supposed to do. And she was taking them orally. Now, you understand, I'm not just telling you something to be, for it to sound like a crude joke. I'm telling you this so you, you understand this is that she had the knowledge. The knowledge was, here's your prescription, take it. But because she didn't have the understanding or the wisdom to how to properly apply or administer the prescription that was given to her, she didn't reap any of the benefit, the potential benefits that the medication had. This is my point. You can have all the knowledge about the Word that you can possibly muster up, but if you don't have wisdom and understanding, that's why God said in Jeremiah 3.15, I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart that will teach you with knowledge and understanding. Not only are they going to present you the facts of what the Word says and how the Word says you're supposed to, to live and what the Word says about a certain thing, but they're also going to teach you with understanding so that, yes, you've got the Word and you don't just get all puffed up because you know the Word, but because you have a knowledge of the Word, you know what the Word says, but they're going to come right along and they're going to teach you how to apply what you you know, to your life so that you get the results and you get the benefits of the Word. Amen? And so understand this. But just <clears throat> First Peter, First Peter 5, 1 through 5. I want to read this to you real quick. Amen? The elders who are among you I exhort... Now you understand the word elder. He's talking to pastors. The pastors who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed... Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Amen? Elders a.k.a. pastors, are to shepherd the flock by guiding them to sources of food. I'll, I'll say this. You realize that a shepherd, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Huh? He leads me to the green pastures you know, beside the still water, right? Do you understand this? That you know, you've, How many of you have heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? Is that the shepherd can take the, can take the flock to a place where there's food and nourishment available, but you, can't, you can lead a sheep to a pasture, but you can't make it eat. Amen? And so you understand this. The Bible says, likewise, it says, likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Submission to elders and submission to each other is taught as an act of humility, and God gives you favor and benefit. So you understand this is that two ways, and we're wrapping this up, that you're going to grow spiritually and begin to reach your potential one is staying in the Word and being on the milk of the Word and growing thereby, being a doer of the Word. 
but the other is being submitted to a ministry gift, a pastor, the ministry gifts that God's placed in the body to help complement the Word. Because you understand, and this ain't coming from someone that's a preacher, and you understand this. Let's just understand, get a real good biblical understanding of what submission means. It doesn't mean that I'm the boss and I tell tell y'all what to do and I snap the whip and y'all jump to it. Submission means that I have a vision that the Lord gives me and I cast that vision before you. I write the vision. I make it plain. I'm speaking the vision. I'm giving you the vision of what God said and that you run with the vision. Amen. And submission really means, sub means under, right? Submarine, under the water, right? Sub just means to come along under. Submission means that the mission, the vision that God gives the pastor that he calls you to be submitted to, that you go, that you embrace the vision, and you you come along underneath that vision and that mission that God's given the pastor and do all that you can to make it come to pass. But understand this, because I'm going to give you both sides of it. It says, be submitted to one another. That means as God gives a vision to the pastor, and the pastor is speaking that vision and casting that vision out before you, that we're commanded by the Word to submit to that vision where God's called you, but also the pastor is, is submitted to, that we are submitted to one another, <clears throat> that your mission in life really if we're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and that's where all of us should be, is that I'm submitted to you and what your specific mission that God's given to you in your life to pursue Him and His kingdom and His righteousness, that I come alongside and come up underneath that vision for your life to help you draw the full potential out of you that God has in store for you. Amen? God wants you to be fruitful. God wants us to be mature. God wants us to be able to be reproductive in the kingdom of God. He wants us to accomplish all that we have to. But two things that we can't get, a, get away from is, number one, the Word, and, then one, and the other is submitting to the ministry gifts that God places in the church. Amen? And you understand that submission is not a bad word. You don't, have any, you don't have any authority if you're not submitted to it. Right? Amen? And so God wants us to grow, and He wants us to be productive. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank You for this day. Father, we thank You, Lord God, uh, for the milk of the Word. Father, we thank You that we do crave Your Word. Father, we, that we have purpose in our hearts that we'll crave it, we'll seek Your Word. And Father God, we just uh, thank You that uh, according to Your Word, that as we crave that milk, that we'll grow. Father, we thank You that we will grow and we will be the, the fully productive person that You've called us to be and we will fulfill all that You've called us to and all that You've promised us in our lives. So we just give You thanks and praise for it now. In Jesus' name. Amen.